Hey everybody, it's Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. It's September 1st, 2016. What gives? I was just here. I just made a, an episode a couple days ago. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I have to tell you guys, I got an email from a podcast listener that basically came at sort of the perfect time. Um, I'll just read you the email. Just It'll be better. So, okay, here we go. Uh, hey, Kendall, I am a longtime listener, but this is the first time I have emailed you. Love the podcast. I have learned. Well, thank you. Love the podcast. I have learned so much from listening over the past few years from your show and just wanted to say hello and offer a podcast suggestion. It seems you have improved much since your early episodes, <laughs> and I would love to hear an updated drum mixing or drum recording podcast. I saw your video on the stacking myth that you that was just put on YouTube and thought the drums sounded great. So I would love to hear your recent thoughts on drums, drum recording, and or drum mixing. Anyway, thanks again and keep making podcasts. David from Victoria, BC. Okay, David, thank you so much for your email. Uh, Victoria, by the way, is lovely. British Columbia, um, very lovely. I was actually there on my honeymoon, uh, just beautiful up there in Canada. Uh, so shout out to all my Canadian listeners. I uh, love it up there. It's beautiful. Um, anyway, so uh, David emailed me just literally today, and I wasn't planning on doing another show, but uh, I just made a video on YouTube about something called the stacking myth. Now, another interesting thing is I got a different uh, email from uh, another podcast listener, and and he, <laughs> I think he basically said that I was the one who told him about the stacking myth, but said that it was true back in the day. Uh, and I'm more than willing to admit, uh, admit when I'm wrong. And, you know, we all learn things all the time. I'm always learning things. And I tried to figure out what episode it was. And I'm thinking, he said it was one of my, one of my early episodes, so it could have been one of the first couple episodes. Or uh, I, hadn't, I haven't listened to it in forever, but um, there's an episode, let's see, this right here, April 2nd, 2012, episode 30. I have a quick tip called Different Gear? Question <laughs> mark. And uh, maybe he was talking about that. And my guess is I was talking about why we need different preamps and mics to get good results. Now, I will say, I want to clarify something about the stacking myth. Go watch the video first. Uh, it's on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash recording lounge. Um, but one thing I wanted to clarify about the stacking myth. So the whole point of that was to basically say, okay, if you've got one bright microphone, for example, or you have one microphone, period, whether it's dark or bright or whatever, uh, if you record every single thing in your project with that, if you if that's all you got in your home studio and you record vocals and acoustic and drums and saxophone and piano and bass and whatever with that one microphone that you'll get this sort of abnormal buildup of that microphone's tonality. And it's very possible that I used to think that, but um, it's not true. Uh, so go watch the video if you haven't already. It explains kind of what I mean by that. However, I wanted to say that I still do believe that having different gear and using different gear is very important. And what I mean is different gear for, say, vocal mic or acoustic guitar mic or drums or whatever, because I feel like it helps just naturally separate things. Because microphones are not just tonalities, they're dynamic as well. So how a ribbon mic responds is different from how a condenser mic responds and how, you know, dynamic microphones, they tend to have a little bit more of an aggressive uh 
frequency response. Not all of them, but uh, some of them do, uh, and they're a little more hyped. And sometimes condensers have a lot of top end, and sometimes ribbons are really dark. And so you can you can get more interesting textures and tones and more clear separation dynamically and frequency response wise by having different. Uh, choices in your arsenal. And same thing with microphones with different polar patterns. You can get sort of certain sounds with more room sound, more depth if you have a room with some with a decent sound in it. Uh, so you can get that interesting texture as well. So I am still a believer in using different gear and, you know, on different sources to create sort of interesting textures. However, they will not add abnormally and sort of multiply the problems that you might have or sort of create this exceptionally uh now it it can take on a very samey type sound where you know you use one bright microphone on everything and the whole mix is bright uh that's not to say that it will be like abnormally bright and like multiply the brightness but it still will be fairly bright um it just won't you know won't be unfixable or anything. Uh, so anyway, go watch the video on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, you can also check out recordingloungepodcast.com and see the links to all that stuff if you need it. So anyway, so back to David's question. So David basically uh, has, has noticed that some of my earlier episodes, and the other reason I wanted to do this show actually, now let me interrupt myself, is that uh, somebody mentioned something about the podcast on on the Facebook page about early, you know what episode they were on and I just got to thinking I was like man some of those earlier episodes I'm, I'm almost ashamed of I know that they, they've helped people but you know listening back to some of those early like drum recording drum mixing things like that I'm like man maybe he's right maybe I should do a maybe I should do an updated show on on drums and this isn't to show off or anything this is just you know share more things that I've learned okay so uh, as opposed to those early episodes I was in my home studio back at my old house. I don't live there anymore, uh, and it was a bedroom conversion. So I had I had uh, two bedrooms when I started the podcast uh, that I had converted into a studio space. They were both basically about the same size, and the rooms sounded okay, just not great. Uh, and I did the best I can, you know, just like all of us, you do the best you can. At the end of 2013 is when I built the studio that I'm in now. I've been here almost three years. And uh, by the end of 2011 or so, I was doing this totally full time. Anyway, point being, so I decided to use the drums from the Stacking Myth video. He mentioned those those drums specifically, so I figured, hey, why not? I'll use those drums. We can go through each track and talk about them, what I used, where the placement was, and hopefully give you some tips. David, I hope that you learn from this podcast, and everybody, I hope that you learn from this podcast. I might give you some updated things, and I can give my updated thoughts on drums and drum recording and drum mixing. So uh, let's get started. All right, so uh, I'm going to play just a little clip of these drums. Now, I will admit, these aren't the greatest uh, played because I played them. Uh, this was actually just a little bit from Soundcheck. I was getting sounds for my session drummer. Uh, we have sort of our go-to setup, and I know how he plays, and he knows how, you know, I know what sounds he likes, and I knew about the session, so I just went ahead and set up the mics. I didn't do much processing at all on the way in. I did a little bit of compression on the room mic, on the stereo room, um, and I don't really know if I did anything. Oh, I did a little EQ on the toms. 
Um, maybe a little EQ on the snare. I don't remember actually, uh, but we tweaked it when he came in. But this is that's one reason I wanted to use just the sound check drums uh, because there wasn't nearly as much you know compression or EQ being committed. Uh, but I don't do any of that until the actual drummer plays. But there's just hardly any EQ on this. Really, the only EQ I think that's on here is on the toms and maybe on the kick. I'm not I don't remember I apologize uh, but anyway there's not hardly any and I think the only channel that has compression is the stereo room mic um, but uh, we'll get to talk about how to process those in a mix this time so that would be that'll be fun uh, so excuse the mediocre drumming uh, it works just fine for this but uh, it is me drumming so here we go uh, let's check out the drums I'll just play you the whole little bit here Okay, so let's just talk about these uh, these drum files one at a time and talk about how I recorded them and what I think about them. So uh, check out the stereo overheads. So I had been working a lot. I'm just going to turn these down so I can talk over them as they sort of play in the background. Um, I've been working a lot when, right before I had done this session uh, on the sound of my room and sound of my drums, and I had just gotten a new set of cymbals. Um, and I've been experimenting a lot over the last six months or so with drums and my room acoustics big time with the room acoustics. Um, the cymbals are a set of minor cymbals. I'm a big fan of the minor cymbals. Uh, in the left crash is an 18-inch extra thin hammered crash. And the right crash, I believe, is a 20-inch extra thin hammered crash. Uh, and then the ride is a Big Apple Dark ride. It's 24 inches. I love the ride symbol. Um, and let's see, my hi-hats I think are some 16-inch Sabian Evolution hats. Uh, they're very large. Or maybe they're actually just 16-inch cratches. They're very large hi-hats, um, but I love how they sound. I've been getting into sort of darker hi-hats lately. Um, so these microphones were my go-to KM184s, just a couple feet above the cymbals. That's another thing I've been liking recently is um, putting the overhead mics a little bit closer to the cymbals. Uh, I've been doing, I did some tests, and I found that 
for whatever reason, I just preferred them a little bit closer than I had before. I, before I had tried them, you know, three or four feet away from the symbols, you know, kind of high up in the air, the overheads. I've got a high ceiling, so I can do that. Uh, but I just preferred the sound of them about two feet over the symbols, and they're, they're directly over the left crash and the right crash for my stereo pair. Picks up a pretty good stereo image, really. Snare is a little off-center. Not bad, though. Nice cymbal sound, though. I, it's kind of, it's funny, you know, I go back and forth on overhead techniques, and I've tried all kinds of different microphones, and something about the Neumanns, I, I just like them. They, they can be a little bit hot in the 3 to 4K area, just at, just the natural response of the microphone can be a little bit hot in that sort of region, um, but depending on the symbols you're using, it, it works really well. If they're a little bit too, uh, if the symbols are a little bit too bright, like if they're Zildjian A Customs or K Customs, sometimes I will use uh, the Biodynamic MC930s. And those are really, really good mics. And they're like 900 bucks for a stereo pair or $1,000 for a stereo pair. I highly recommend those. I, I got a pair in maybe January that I really, really like. Um, I got them on eBay for... 600 bucks for the pair so that was a great deal uh, I've got my mono overhead this is a microphone I basically always put in the drum mix even if I don't use it just because I love how it sounds I just love how that snare drum sounds it also picks up a lot of uh, a lot of ride cymbal check this out Oh, I love how thick that ride cymbal attack is in this mic. So this is a Biodynamic M160 ribbon mic. It's actually a hypercardioid ribbon mic. Um, it's very rare for ribbon mics to be that, but uh, it's got just a great sound, nice punchy attack. I just love how it sounds. Um, you know, a little bit dark in certain areas. It can even be a little bit harsh. It's kind of a funny mic. Like, it sounds dark and bright at the same time. Um, and in certain instruments, it's like, wow, that's really bright. And other times, it's perfect. And so, anyway, um, like I said, I almost always record this. It's basically over the ride cymbal. So I've got my two Neumanns on the outside sort of flanking the kit over the left crash and the right crash. And then I've got the biodynamic over the ride cymbal. So they all kind of you know, they get their own mic in a way, it, it's like double duty, you know what I mean? Like, uh, this mic acts as sort of like amazing snare mic and ride mic, and the Neumanns act as sort of symbols and just overall picture of the kit. And usually I'll use a little bit more of the Neumanns. Uh, I feel like I've been doing that lately, mainly because I like the close mic sound as well. Uh, so I use those up the middle, and anyway. Uh, okay, let's check out our stereo room. little off-center. I'm just going to pan this a little bit. So this is my go-to stereo room mic, and this is the AEA R88, and this is a pretty decent picture of what my room sounds like, and I'm very, very happy with the way my live room sounds. 
Oh, I think I remember actually after this sound check, I realized that. Uh, so I have uh, typically I run that microphone through a pair of AEA ribbon mic pre's. I have the 500 series RPQs with the high shelf and low cut, and I think I actually figured out that one of them had the frequency on the um, the high boost uh, was a little bit higher frequency. So I'm actually going to just remedy that right now while I'm thinking about it. So I'm going to pull up an EQ and I'm only going to EQ the left side. See what I'm doing here? That sounds a little better. And again, I'm not crazy worried about the room mics being like perfectly centered or anything. You know, they're supposed to add depth and dimension and sort of, you know, they're supposed to sound different. So I don't really mind that too much, but I'm really, really happy with this stereo room sound. It's just enough sort of room ambience. It's about 15 feet away from the snare. Uh, and actually, I this is something, another thing that I've been doing lately is I've been liking the room mic a little higher in the room. And I strongly urge all of you guys to try this out. If you put room mics up in your room, Try them at sort of like three or four different locations. The locations that I've been trying my room mics, um, so try them all the way down on the floor, and I mean like an inch away from the floor, facing the floor. Uh, so that's one position to try. And then try, I've got the, you know, my other three positions that I've been doing lately are knee, waist, and head. So try them about knee height, uh, unless you're super, super short. Uh, a couple feet off the ground, uh, and then waist height, maybe, f I don't know, a couple more feet off the ground, maybe face height, uh, six feet, five, six feet off the ground, seven feet for my very tall listeners, and maybe even, and re maybe really high, like eight feet tall, uh, eight or ten feet tall if you've got stands that can go that high. Um, so just try your room mics in different locations. What I, I've learned from doing that recently is the closer I get to my kit, the lower I like the mics. And that could just be because of the symbols or whatever, but for whatever reason, at this particular spot, about 15 feet from the snare, and I've tried it, you know, 10 feet and 12 feet and 20 feet. I've, just, I did a, I've done a bunch of tests recently, and I, had, I advise you guys to do that too. Uh, I actually got another email from a podcast listener on the Facebook page, uh, and he gave me some great podcast suggestions. Um, and uh, long story short... Uh, I'm giving you a homework assignment as per his suggestion for me to give you a homework assignment. <laughs> uh, so your homework assignment is to try different microphones in different positions sort of methodically. And that might help you. It helped me. It might not be, you know, you might just be one of those people that's just kind of like, man, I just go with the flow and I put up a mic and if it sounds good, I use it. If it doesn't, I don't. Uh, but for me, I am always interested in hearing sort of how my room responds because it's my room. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not going anywhere for a while. Uh, so I would play drums a little bit and put a room mic down low in the room. And then I'd, you know, I have a couple room mics, so I'd put them down. I put all of my room mics down low and then I'd play drums again and I'd move them up a little bit, play drums again, move them up a little bit. And I would just hear how, 
you know, the closer room mics, I liked them better at lower distance, you know, lower heights, but then the farther room mics, I liked them better at higher heights. So I learned a lot from doing tests like that uh, recently. And so, yeah, anyway, uh, but I really just love the sound of this. I mean, this could almost be one, I mean, with this one microphone, it could be the whole drum sound. I just love that microphone so much. Shout out to AEA for making such a freaking amazing microphone. Gosh, I love that thing. The R88. Amazing. Okay, this is my mono room mic. Now this is about waist, somewhere between waist and knee height, uh, maybe about eight feet from the kit. And I think we, I did this, so this is, uh, if I remember correctly, this was the Mojave MA300. Uh, which is a tube condenser mic, and it's got a fully variable polar pattern. And if I remember correctly, I did this somewhere in between cardioid and omni, so sort of a wide cardioid, right? Uh, so listen to this. I love that sound. So being in wide cardioid, it picks up a little bit more room than you might expect. It actually even seems to sound farther away than the stereo room mics, kind of. But it, it really does a great job. Nice kick drum. Oh, and the interesting thing about this mic was... Uh, I actually ended up placing this one in sort of an old-school position for me something I used to do when I uh, When I was in my home studio, I didn't have a lot of room my room was small like many of your rooms And so the best place for me to put room mics was along the pan line uh, And the pan line means if you were to imagine a drum set if you draw a line sort of intersecting the two let's say you have a drum kit with kick snare tom tom and then a ride cymbal you know where the second tom would go you know the classic drum setup uh, if you imagine drawing a line between the toms the kick and the snare so it's like a line crossing over the ride cymbal and on the left is the uh, floor tom and the right is the rack tom um, that's what i call the pan line and that means that's how you pan the drum kit in a mix so if you're looking at it from the opposite side of the kit from the drummer's side of the kit you have kick and snare in the middle you have rack tom on the left and you have floor tom on the right ride cymbal pretty much in the middle you've got hi-hat far left you have a left crash and a right crash maybe another right crash or another right maybe another floor tom uh, so that pan line uh, sort of goes at this weird angle out of the kit, but that's actually where I put this mic. So I put this maybe, uh, I don't remember, 8 to eight to 12 feet away from the snare drum along that pan line. So my AEA R88 was actually like in front of the, you know, in front of the kit, um, you know, facing the kit dead on, you know, kick drum is in your view, uh, but about 15 feet out and about 6 feet up. But this one was actually over on the other side of the kit, over on that pan line. So it was like, you know, kind of a strange setup. But I just love how it sounds. It sounds so balanced. 
See, and I found that moving the mic down to like waist height uh, gave me a better balance. As you started moving it higher, you got more cymbal and toms, uh, but not as much floor tom. As you moved it lower, you got more kick and floor tom. So it's really easy to balance this. Now, if you put it too low, it seems like it picks up more like bottom snare sound, a lot of kick and a lot of floor tom, but kind of a weird ride cymbal sound kind of the washy sort of underside of the ride and bottom snare. Uh, I, I wish I had a demo to, to play it, but uh, yeah, just I just really like how it sounds. So experiment in your room with the height, okay? That, that can be a great sort of tonal change based on your room acoustics and how, you know, the ceiling and the floor interact, but also just whatever it is you're recording. You know, it's going to sound a little different at different heights. Um, so anyway, uh, this is one of my new favorite microphones. Uh, this is a PZM microphone from CAD. It is $50 and it, well, at least I got it for $50 on eBay, but I don't think it's very expensive. And this is actually screwed into my ceiling above the drum kit. Check this thing out. How about that? Great tom sound, great snare sound, nice depth. Great ride sound. But yeah, this is not an expensive microphone. And what's cool about PZM microphones is that they don't get weird reflections because they sit right on the boundary. Uh, and they're generally pretty cheap. And in your room, you might try it. You might try it out. So anyway, this is a really neat microphone. And I usually will distort this or compress it very heavily. We'll talk about that. Uh, here's my kick in. I've been really into the Telefunken M82 lately. That's what this mic is. My kick drum is a 22-inch kick drum. I most likely have, yeah, I know I do, a Remo Power Stroke coated head on it. Um, I like the coated head. I probably had the kick EQ switch in on this microphone and then the high boost, probably. Sounds awesome. But I will say, I did work for a long time tuning this kick drum uh, before this session. It sounded really bad before. Still got some of that funky mid-range paper stuff that every kick drum has. This is the kick outsides, my go-to kick outside mic for like the last four years, uh, Charter Oak E700. And see, this is my favorite type of kick sound, where your inside mic is nice and short, but your outside mic has a little bit of length. Not too much to get annoying, though. The reason I like a little bit of length is if it's super short, you know, like super, super dead, you can't use like a transient designer or anything to make it longer if you need to. Now, if it's long, you can use a gate or a transient designer to make it shorter, uh, but it can't be too long, it can't be too short. So we'll talk about that a little bit when we start to do a quick mix on these. Here's our snare top mic. 
Telefunken M80, my go-to snare mic for the last five or six years. The separation on it is great. It picks up an amazing snare sound for a close mic. Lots of nice bottom end, not lots of clarity. I don't think this has any EQ. Now I believe on this test I used an M80 on the bottom snare as well. Which I've decided over the last couple months that I don't really like it on the bottom. It's a little bit too bright on the bottom. So I've kind of gone back to either the SM57 or an MD441 or an SM7. I've been trying a couple different mics, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and put an EQ on that. Just a little bit too bright, like the 4K. Like this 3, 4K area. It just kind of bothers me. You know, I'm just going to put on a shelf rather than a bell there. Just a couple dB down. It's just a little too bright. Oops, sorry. Okay, here's my rack tom. This is uh, my my favorite little CAD Tom mic, uh, the M179. I, if you're on the email list, I sent out an email about this mic because it just kind of blows my mind. Uh, this is such a great Tom mic, uh, and it's like 100 bucks, I think. And, I mean, it blows away the MD421, which is kind of like the studio standard. In my opinion, it blows that mic away. This is my rack Tom. I'll center them up so you can hear them better. It's a condenser. It's got a fully variable polar pattern. It sounds awesome. This has a little bit more bleed than I'm comfortable with. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> Maybe I did. Maybe I moved the mic, got a little bit less bleed. A lot of times I'm going to edit that stuff out anyway, but uh, the bleed's not bad bleed. That tom just sounds awesome, right? There might have been a little bit of EQ on that. I'm not sure. Maybe not. That sounds pretty good. It's a 13-inch rack tom. Uh, most likely Remo Ambassador drumhead. Floor tom sounds okay. Eh, not bad. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Um, that's also CAD M179. Um, this is my hi-hat. Okay, so don't hate me for this, guys, but on the hi-hat on this session, I used a Gefell UMT-70, um, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous. It's a $1,400 or $1,500 mic or something like that on the hi-hat, right? I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, the reason being, I was just trying out a figure eight mic on the hi-hat. So, yeah, I wanted to experiment with putting the first crash in the null of the figure eight. And check that out. It actually works really well. Listen to this. Here comes the crash. Not too loud, right? See, there's your hi-hat mic. But then here's that first crash. 
So I would call that experiment successful. I think it sounds pretty good. That Gefell is an awesome mic. I highly recommend that mic to anybody as well. The UMT70. Uh, it's an awesome condenser. Just sort of do-it-all condenser. Okay, so here are two fun mics. Uh, geek mics, as I like to call them. Uh, me and my friend Chris call them geek mics because they just they sound stupid, and <laughs> but they're actually smart. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this is uh, UTF, or Under the Floor. Check this mic out. So this mic is literally an SM57 sitting on the floor, underneath the floor tom. It kind of sounds awful, but it sounds really cool when you compress it or distort it. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And this is OTK, or over the kick. Uh, technically this is just outside of the rim of the kick. I sort of stole this technique from Joe Ciccarelli uh, using a mic outside of the kick drum. It gets a lot of rack tom and it gets a lot of ride cymbal, but it's not too bad. As long as the cymbal isn't too loud or the drummer doesn't hit the cymbals too loud, that position is really neat. Um, let's see here. Okay, so now what we're going to do is talk a little bit about, uh, and that was, oh, for the microphones, that was an S57 under the floor tom and then uh, the over the kick, that one was, I think my Rode NT2. Wow, I'm just thinking, why didn't I use the Gefell there and the road on the hi-hat? I didn't even... <laughs> anyway, uh, man, I should have totally done that. Uh, that okay, anyway. Um, Alright, so we're going to just make a quick balance of these. That's generally the first thing I do when I start mixing drums is I make a quick balance. So I'm going to pull all of my faders down. I'm going to start with my sort of basic elements, my kick, snare, overheads, my kick, snare, stereo overheads, and uh, maybe my hi-hat or something like that. So uh, let's, let's check it out. So I've just got my overheads kick snare up right now. I'm going to bring in a little bit of stereo room. Interesting. When I bring in that stereo room mic, uh, it actually sounds a little bit heavy on one side now. So I just bypassed that EQ and it sounded right. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds more balanced. Interesting. I got rid of that EQ. Check out the PZM overhead. Adds a really cool crack on the snare drum if you need it. I might just blend in a little bit of that. So I'm going to pull in my tom mics. I usually will pan these either hard left, hard right, or I'll do 50-50 or maybe 50-100. So let's see what hard left and right sounds like. 
Again, like we've talked about in certain shows about LCR uh, panning and why I'm a fan of that, your brain sort of resists LCR and it's like, no, I can't have that rack tom far left. It's like, yeah, but it's not far left in the mono overhead. It's not far left in the PZM. It's not far, you know, so depending on how you mic it, I mean, that tom is coming from multiple places, not just from the left. So, you know. It doesn't necessarily, it has some dimension to it. It doesn't just sound like awkwardly placed, you know, in the left speaker like this. When it's combined with everything, it sounds like it's still a part of the kit, right? So uh, that's one reason I don't mind doing LCR panning. Um, the only reason I really would pan something off is like with the room mic where it was a little off center. I just did it to correct it. I didn't really do it because I think it needed to be 16, 16 left. <laughs> I don't, you know, that was just to correct the imbalance of the left to right. Most of the time I'm panning LCR and just on a couple of things in the mix, I'll do 50-50. So maybe like a backing vocal part or like a verse guitar part or something like that. Uh, in the chorus, maybe nothing. Anyway. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with this sort of general balance. I don't necessarily need the hi-hat mic. I don't really feel like I need it. That's just a little bit in there. With the hi-hat, you can pretty much just roll off everything below, you know, 500 hertz, sometimes higher. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. You just don't need any of that. Yeah, you don't. That's fine. Okay, so now at this point, once I have my basic balance, uh, I'm, I'm going to actually add some drum bus compression and uh, some EQ. Uh, now, bus EQ for me is generally in the form of three main things. One, I sort of set the low cutoff for the kick. So in this case, I'm going to take out the low frequencies with a high-pass filter, a resonant high-pass filter, uh, below about 40, 50 hertz. Now, my kick usually sits somewhere between 40 and 60, depending on how it's tuned, and that's kind of where I like it. Uh, but I don't put it, like, right at 60. I just I put it sort of below sort of the lowest frequency I think it really needs, which to me is about 40. So this is if I were to increase the resonance really heavily. Which is really cool. You can actually get a nice, cool, full kick sound that way. Ooh, that's cool. So I'm just going to, I'm basically just pulling that up maybe a couple dB at the resonant point. Uh, but the, again, this is a resonant high-pass filter. Uh, so it, it's a high-pass filter, but then it goes up over sort of the line and boosts about 40 or 50 hertz. And then it drops below that fairly sharp. It's 18 dB per octave. Um, but then back down by like 100 hertz, it's normal again with no boost. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty mellow, maybe 2 dB boost there. Uh, maybe. dB and a half, it looks like. Uh, and then uh, I've got a top, a high shelf on, but one of the other things that I do is I sort of roll off the tip top. So I've got a low pass filter on the drums um, starting about uh, 15K, uh, maybe like 12K and rolling off from there. But it, I, in addition, I'm boosting highs. So in effect, what's happening is I'm doing a nice wide boost 
starting at like 1K, super mellow, all the way up to about 10K, where it's plus 2 dB, plus 2.5 dB. Um, so this is it right here. If I bypass it, it's on. So it's very subtle. It's literally just like 2 dB. Uh, it's 2 dB at, uh, let's see, it's like nothing at 1K. It looks like about a dB and a half by 5K. And about, eh, it's about 3 dB by maybe 15K or so. But then I've got that low pass filter rolling off above 15K. And I do that because I don't really want to boost much like 20K or anything like that. To me, it seems best reserved for the master bus, just putting a tiny bit on the whole thing. Anyway, so I've got just a DB or two boost here. And of course, this all depends on the context of what you're doing. The other thing that I will sometimes find, so those are the first two things, to kind of treat my lows, treat my highs. The other thing is I will sometimes have to pull out a strange resonance somewhere in the drums. Now, it could be from a drum, it could be from a cymbal. Let's check out that ride. That ride's got a sort of interesting pitch to it. That, that sort of right around 300 hertz. It doesn't really bother me though, it's not that loud. If some ride cymbals have sort of their own like note, like as you're riding on them, and it gets really annoying. I don't really hear any funky resonances in here. I'm pretty happy with the way they sound. Okay, so now let's just start adding some flavor to these drums, okay? So what I'm gonna do first, one thing I like to do is, uh, I'm gonna put some reverb on my stereo room mics. So I'm going to pull up my good old faithful reverb. So uh, again, if you're a fan of the show, you know that I often like to put my reverb for drums actually on my room mics because I like to simulate that it was recorded that way because I like my drum bus compressor uh, to react to that sound. So these are my room mics. Got 0.8 seconds on the reverb, uh, 12 millisecond pre-delay. It's a large room algorithm. Uh, it's got a high frequency cutoff at 6K. 25% um, wet. And I have it switched to mostly late reflections. So um, it's like 75% late reflections. And I do that because, you know, the mic is 15 feet away. So it's getting a lot of early reflections. It's not really getting a ton of late, like, reverb tail. And my room is not massive. So this sort of balances it out to me. At least that's how my brain, it makes sense of it. I'm going to pull out a little bit of low mids, it sounds like, on that room mic. Sometimes reverb plugins and stuff like that can get a little bit tubby. Right in this area.
Okay, so now I'm going to add a drum bus compressor. Now again, a lot of this depends on the song that you're doing. It vastly depends on that, but I'm just going to try to make these drums sound good. So I am using a plugin called the Glue from Cytomic. It's a really cool plugin, and I actually really like it on drums. So yeah, check it out. Start about. So what I've been doing lately on the drums is I'll just heavily compress them and then I'll work with my attack and release to kind of make sure it fits the groove right. And it also helps me hear it a little better. So if I slow down the attack, you can hear how it gets like a little snappier. This is slow attack. Fast attack. Hear how the attack is kind of crushed there? And it's not there. So usually I like somewhere in between. It kind of depends again on what my... Uh, I like how that sounds a lot. Let's mess with my release. So for this particular passage of drums, I like that, but let me check out the other section. Okay, I can live with that compromise there. Uh, so now I'm going to back off my threshold and experiment with that a little bit. Just do a little bit of compression to glue it all together. The idea here is that I'm sort of listening for, like, okay, it's really compressed right now. I'm compressing, like, 12 dB. It's like, well, what settings still sound good with this much compression? And, you know, what really grooves right and feels right with the tempo? Uh, and what's smacking me right? Like, the, the, the transients smacking at me at me. What do those sound like? Um, do they sound good? Do they do they work? And I think it works really well, actually. So this is a before and after compression. Uh, so this is no compression. with so it actually turns out pretty subtle um, but I'm still compressing 4 dB um, but it turns out pretty subtle in the end let's check that out again without with Okay, I like that for now. Another thing that I've been doing uh, is, uh, well, I've always really liked parallel compression on drums, but I'm going to go ahead and pull up some parallel compression. So what I'm going to do is just really crush this compressor. Sorry if this is loud. Let's see here. I'll pull up the... Okay, but I'm just going to blend in a little bit of that. 
Okay, so this is 10% wet. I don't believe that that percentage is correct, <laughs> but that's what it says. Uh, so this is parallel compression off. On. Off. On. So it says 10% wet, but I don't believe it. Um, that's set sort of fast attack, fast release. A little bit of distortion going on in there as well. Uh, now I'm also going to play with my other mics, these OTK UTF. So what I'm going to do with this mic, I'm going to use a transient designer. My favorite is the Native Instruments Transient Master. And I'm going to boost the transients all the way up, just like crazy. And the sustain I'm going to pull down a little bit. And then I'm going to, let's see, I'm going to use a compressor then, a super fast, super aggressive compressor. Or maybe saturation. Let's let's try that. So saturation might be a good option. Oh, I love this plugin. This is the UBK1. A uh, little bit of saturation and a lot of compression going on. So I've made it overly transient heavy. So that the ring of the drums doesn't get crazy when I then crush it back. Now check out what happens if I were to bypass the transient designer. This is with the transient designer on, off. On. See how those toms were sort of ringing along in a weird way and they were just getting in the way in all the gaps of the transient hits? Well, I've sort of over-accentuated those transient, hit, transient hits. Essentially, I've expanded the transient hits and then I compress them back again. And so effectively, it's almost as if the like ring and stuff from the toms is the same volume as before. Think about that one. Expanding the snare hits and then compressing them by, you know, a similar amount. Uh, and it sort of almost touches nothing else but those transients. Okay, so check out how cool this sounds in context. So this is the drums without that mic. With. My favorite part about it is how it picks up the ghost notes of the snare. Um, the snare bottom is pretty good at doing that, but this picks it up a little bit differently. So check out this little part. Listen without it. It sounds like the ghosts are hardly being played. And what if you're not familiar with the term ghost notes? I mean those little quiet sort of rolls that they're, you know that I'm doing on the snare. So listen to this one more time. 
with that mic. Without. It also adds a little bit of snap to the kick, so now focus your attention on the kick. Without. With. Without. With. This is what it's adding. Super cool microphone. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to turn that reverb down just a little bit. Or maybe I'll just turn that whole room mic down a little. And I'm going to pull a little bit of dry signal back into my drum bus compression on the first compressor, not the second. going to tweak some of my balances here. Um, just sort of mess around with it a little bit. See what happens. So I'm going to group my kick in and kick out and my snare top and snare bottom to their own pairs. So I'm going to have kick in and kick out going to one group called kick bus and snare top, snare bottom going to snare bus. So let me do that real quick. So I'm now routing my kick bus to the drum bus as, as well as my snare bus to the drum bus. So now I've got one fader for the kick. Just for phase coherence, I, I like to process the kick and snare generally together. So the kick in and out mics, or if there's kick in, out, sub kick, I just process, I balance them, I fix, if there's any issues, uh, I fix that, but for the most part I try to process them as one element. Sometimes I'll sum them on the way in, on this particular session I didn't, but oftentimes I'll sum them on the way in to one track and I'll compress and EQ them on the way in with analog stuff. So what I'm going to do is actually uh, tighten up this kick drum a little bit with the transient designer.
so I'm going to EQ my snare a little bit. I'm going to pull down the bottom mic just a hair. I'm going to pull out some of this stuff. Pretty narrow. Let me make sure and check my phase of my tom mics. I think I might just boost some lows on those tom mics. They just don't really seem to have a lot of thump. Okay, I like that pretty well. Um, you know, I, I don't even, I'm not even using the mono room mic, and I'm not using the UTF under the floor, and I'm not using the mono overhead. I'm really happy with the sound. I'm going to experiment with the UTF. What I might do in certain situations is use, like, the stereo room mics in the chorus, uh, but use the mono room in the verse, uh, just so the song sort of grows when it gets to the chorus. Uh, mono overhead, that kind of depends, you know, on my... On my initial balance, you know, I might feel like the kit needs to be a little bit more mono. Um, or I might feel like what I'm getting from the close mic snare is not good enough, so I'll use the mono overhead to get more of that snare. But the close mic setup on this sounds great. I'm really happy with how it sounds. Um, so I'm not going to use the mono overhead. Uh, but I am going to show you what I do with the under the floor mic. This is really fun. So what I'm going to do with this guy is I'm going to distort him like crazy. We're going to use our old pal Decapitator from Sound Toys, one of the greatest plugins ever designed, in my opinion. Start by pulling out quite a bit of high end. Ooh, see, when you start pulling out the top end and you can hear those lows, it actually has a surprising amount of floor tom in there. We want to check the phase with the actual floor tom mic, so let me do that real quick. Eh, it sounds better like that. Okay, yeah, I, have, I left it unflipped. sounded better like that. Um, okay, so we'll see how it works in context, though. Um, so I don't, I'm not necessarily going to pan this one to the right. I might, but you don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, so let's just see what it, how it works in context. I might... I'm just going to mess with it a little bit for a second, just play with the balances and play with the tone and see how it works in context. That's really all that counts.
I gotta make sure it doesn't get too crazy when the ride symbol happens. Not bad. If you think about it, it is shielded by like the kick and the floor tom being underneath the floor tom. That's one of the reasons I like it there. Might turn my PZM mic up a little bit. Okay, so this is the drum sound without the under the floor mic. I'm going to do uh, sort of uh, an AB with and without the under the floor mic and with and without uh, sort of like uh, our room mics and a couple of other ABs like that. Uh, I think that would be helpful. So here is with and without the under the floor. Here's um, with. Without. with Okay, here's with and without one more time under the floor. Here's with without with Without. I'm going to do a different section here. This is without. With. And adds kind of a cool aggression to the mid-range. Sometimes drums can be a little bit scooped and kind of boring in the mid-range. And it's mostly like low transients and high transients. And it's like, yay, cool, drum, smack, and boom. Uh, but there's no like mid-range flavor, character, you know, anything interesting to, you know, help those ghost notes come through and help some of that finesse come through and also to compete with guitars and, and just overall have a cool tone to them. So, um, and kind of like distortion on bass, you don't really end up hearing a lot of that in the context of the mix. Uh, it just makes it sound cooler. Uh, so yeah, I'm also going to show this with and without the room mics. Uh, the, that sort of stereo reverb that I put on the stereo room mics. So I'm going to mute the PZM and the stereo room both. I'm going to mute both of those room mics. So here's with. Without. With. Without. With. So they add a very subtle amount of width. If you're on good speakers or headphones, you can probably hear that. But the last thing I'm going to do here uh, is I'm going to actually turn down the space in between the tom hits. And I usually do this first, but I forgot to do that. So uh, all I'm really doing is cutting out the space in between roughly. It doesn't even have to be perfect rocket science here. Uh, cutting out the space in between these tom hits right up next to the transient there, but then leaving quite a bit of space at the end of each of these passages and fills uh, to make sure that the toms can decay. So this is sort of like manual gating. And I'm doing this uh, clip gain uh, style. So this is actually all pre. I used to do this uh, with automation, but 
I just, it doesn't really matter to me. So I'm turning them down about 24 dB, not totally off. I don't really usually turn them off uh, unless the kit needs to be really tight in a rack setting like this. I don't mind leaving a little bit there. Um, so we're going to do quick little fades on all these. Okay, so I'm going to cut out that first one. I forgot to cut out those. Minus 24. So I can extend all these fades a little bit and make these a little smoother. So it fades out and you have sort of some bleed there, but the effect is keeping it a lot cleaner. If I wanted these drums to be drier, what I might do is actually use the mono overhead. Like I'd use the kick and snare, so like this. I'd use the hi-hat mic. Maybe a little of the mono overhead. And then the close mics and definitely be careful about the bleed on the toms. See, yeah, you necessarily couldn't get away with that type of thing, or you'd have to edit very carefully, or you couldn't keep the toms very loud, especially because now, uh, in this situation, I have no stereo anything except toms, so that becomes much more obvious when those come in. Uh, so I could maybe put a little stereo room or whatever, but if we wanted these drums to be mixed sort of dry in the context, we'd have to be real careful about that. Uh, I might be able to mix in the OTK or the UTF mic. Um That's a cool sound. UTF might be a little bit too much for this uh, context. But in the full rock kit, uh, you know, I can get away with sort of chopping those and making the fades happen. So, now we're going to listen to it all the way top to bottom so you can hear. Uh, I'm going to turn off all the plugins, and uh, you're going to hear it dry first, and then you're going to hear it with all the plugins on. Not bad, right? Here's just drum bus. Here's all the individual channels. So as you can hear, I didn't really do a ton of stuff. Uh, the drums still sound like drums. You know, they don't sound like hyper real unfathomable pop rock drum sound or like metal drum sound or something. I mean, they still sound like drums. I didn't really do a whole lot to it. You know, I could go into the kick and I could probably pull out some low, you know, some mids like this. And 
depending on the song, I might actually brighten the snare a little. And depending on the song, I might even brighten the overheads a little bit. But point is, uh, you know, it all depends on the song that you're working on. It depends where the drums sit. It depends what else is going on. You know, if the drums are one instrument out of, say, a uh, grand piano, acoustic guitar, upright bass, and a vocal, uh, you know, they don't need to necessarily be super bright. Otherwise, they're going to be getting in the way. Um, but, you know, it all depends. It depends on the performance. It depends on all that. But hopefully this has uh, been a great drum mixing uh, sort of update slash tutorial slash giving you great things to think about. David, again, thank you for your question. Uh, you've got a lovely home up there in Victoria. Uh, anyway, so guys, you know the drill. Um, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, and check out our new website, recordingloungepodcast.com. That's got everything you need there. You can sign up for the mailing list. Uh, you can check out our episodes. It'll play our most recent episodes if you want to do that, unless you're on iTunes or something like that. Um, you can check out the links to support the podcast with PayPal or Patreon. You can do all that stuff on recordingloungepodcast.com. Uh, you can contact me there through the form, or you can email me directly. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, we just finished putting up um, the podcast archive. So this is essentially like a list of like tags and other thing like things like that you can check that out uh, so you can see what all the episodes have sort of common tags you can search for um, I've got the RSS feed I've got a bunch of stuff up there and I just posted a new blog post as well yesterday um, so anyway guys I'll talk to you next time if you guys have any more questions send them my way recording lounge podcast at gmail.com David thanks again one more time for your question keep being a listener keep being a fan all you guys out there you do the same we'll talk next time <laughs>